This week we're going to be talking about spotting and pros and cons as well as the effect the COVID-19 pandemic has had on spotting circus artists and whether there are any benefits to be brought forward from that as well as any drawbacks. Today I'm here with Martha Harrison. Martha is a course manager on the degree program here at the National Center for Circus Arts. Martha, thank you for coming along. Uh, would you like to just tell everybody what a course manager actually is, what it does, what sort of your day-to-day -day job entails while you're here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there used to be people that worked in the office and people that worked as teachers and now we have course managers who kind of do both. So half of my job is kind of organizing and making sure the students are in the right place at the right time and figuring out what goes into modules. And the other half of my job is actually teaching. So when I am in space, it, I understand exactly what's going on with the teachers and the students because I see them all the time. But also I can see, well, there's a problem here. I can go straight into the office and sort it out rather than there being this kind of gap between the two. So I think it works quite well in general. Yeah, that's really cool. I think it's really cool to have that sort of balance between actually knowing what's going on in the admin side and all that academic side of a, of a degree program, as well as the scheduling and all that that goes on, as well as, uh, I guess, having experience as a teacher and experience uh, as a performer and stuff like that as well. So I don't know if you would also like to tell us a bit about uh, kind of how you got here. What, what, what did you do before circus? How did you get into circus? Uh, and how did you wind up uh, teaching on a degree program? So I was a gymnast. I was a sports acrobat for quite a long time. I wasn't amazing by any stretch, but I wasn't very low level either. Um, and at some point I really got into contemporary dance. So I wanted to find a way of combining the two and I, I found this course. So I, I'm actually an ex-student, I'm an ex-degree student from a long time ago. Um, so from there, I started teaching a little bit on the degree and I went, but I was primarily performing um, doubles trapeze which was my specialization. And then I worked with Mimbra, an acrobatic company, female acrobatic company. And from there, I, I was doing both for ages and then I got way more into the teaching and now I am doing this full time. Okay. Great, and then obviously in the last year, we've been hit pretty hard in circus as well as in higher education with the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's going to uh, be big in what we're talking about today about spotting and physical touch. Uh, do you wanna just run through what did you have to do when, when COVID hit and everything was locked down uh, as a course manager? What did that involve? What did you end up having to do in the degree program to change things around? Well, quite a lot. I think at first we went directly into a lockdown. So that was really challenging for us because obviously, you know, circus students want to be in the building. We want to be in the building. What we do is physical. So it was really difficult for everybody to be you know, in their houses, trying to think about how to teach circus online. And we found some methods to do that. So some classes we could do at home. So we had some juggling classes, we had handstand classes, we had um, conditioning classes, uh, which was, you know, at points just hilarious because 
everybody was against their walls and in really different spaces. But I mean, it was also really hard for all of us. And then at some point we could come back into the building and we were working with social distancing. So we haven't been able to touch a student or each other in the building for a really long time now. So that had its challenges too. And weirdly different challenges than I thought. So some of the more the classes that I realized we were using spotting a lot were handstands, for example, and other classes like single point trapeze, I realized, oh, we actually aren't spotting these students as much as I thought we were. So I did have to think a little bit around how we teach certain subjects more than other subjects. So that was, yeah, yeah. Really hard going. And it kind of was just a blanket ban on all touch, wasn't it? There was no, there was no exceptions really being made in the school. It, it was pretty much just straight out, no touching, no spotting. Yeah. Cool. Completely. Okay, so like I mentioned at the start, we're going to be talking about spotting today. Uh, I especially wanted to get you in personally uh, to talk about this because I've seen you use spotting in some really creative ways, in ways that I think are really, really cool. And uh, I think a lot of people could learn from so like some, some of those strategies and some of those approaches. Uh, in terms of spotting in circus, it's pretty much a universally accepted thing in it like we no matter what circus school you go to it's almost a guarantee that um spotting is involved how has that been the case for you like have you had spotting throughout your whole kind of lifetime has that just been how it was or was it any different well i think i work in a really specific environment because all of the my core skills are working with other people so i'm not you know, I do do a little bit of aerial hoop or a single point or something, but most of the time I'm working with other people. So this kind of touching each other is integral to my life. We, when I was a gymnast, we didn't have lunges at all. We just had spotting, that was it. So we had to learn quite quickly how to fall and how to land. And you know, I had a complete faith in my uh, teacher who was amazing. But we couldn't have him all the time standing right next to us. So we kind of had to learn how to, um, you know, work with that spot and how to get like get rid of that spot. So I think at, when I came here, I was quite shocked that we had lunges, that we could use them all the time. And that I always had this safety net around me. And I thought I was actually really pleased. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, but I do think that sometimes the spotting that we can use, um, which, which I think you're talking about the spotting that I've been using, it more comes from an acrobalance background rather than the spotting of like standing there and just spotting a thousand backflips, which I have done as well. As, you know, it's a learning curve as a teacher to work out how and when to spot and when you're not used. The other thing for me, which is quite important, I think, is that I'm really small as a you know teacher. So half the time I have students in my acrobatic class that are way bigger than me. So me spotting them isn't actually that beneficial. So I've had to think, oh, how can I make this work um, so that it's safe, but it's not me getting squashed by you, because obviously that's a big part of what you have to think about as a spotter. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, in my own gymnastics career. I think the entire coaching course was just about what can you spot and how well can you spot it rather than how well can you actually teach it. It was just a given that uh, you were going to 
take their skills and as long as you took them took them through those movements and that kind of worked because the students were really really small like there was you were never dealing with an 18 year old who couldn't front somersault because they all learned to do it when they were six and uh, the skills that they were requiring once they were much older actually as way more competent gymnasts they didn't really need that much spotting so so it really made sense there and i always was quite jealous of when i saw the older teachers uh, in this space where they could just do a whole class they could just sit in a chair and talk through <laughs> it and sit down and it's like well is that worse so all their students still still seem to progress at the same rate so i started going oh well maybe we don't need all of this uh, hands-on spotting um as much as we think I mean, in terms of just spot, any kind of spotting in general, do you think there's any, like, what do you think are the advantages? Why do you think it gets used so often if we took spotting instead of, let's say, a load of crash mats or even, like you said, a, a lunge belt? Why, why, did, why is spotting kind of the go-to thing for a lot of people? Um, so I think that one thing that I... I decided to do in my acro classes is to kind of integrate this um, sort of sports acro methodology. So it's not just about learning that particular skill. It's also about if I can teach two other students to catch someone jumping backwards and then take them through into um, like, a, like as if they're doing a backflip, but if they land in the middle, then those three students are learning something more than just me spotting one student doing a backflip. So the students that are catching are learning to base. The student that's um, jumping is learning to fly. They're also learning how to navigate this together and they're thinking about the backflip. So you could kind of get a number of things in there in one moment. Before I started to think in that way, it was the case that I was going in and just, you know, I'd spot this person doing a backflip and then I'd spot this person doing a backflip. And all that was happening was that one student was thinking about backflip and I was thinking about whether or not it was working or not. I think the one thing that spotting can help you with, though, is the feeling that, yes, I can do this. I can, if you can, because I think there are skilled spotters and not skilled spotters, and just lifting somebody over, the, really, it, it's not that beneficial, but if it's, you're showing a student, look, you are pretty much doing this on your own. You know, they get that first feeling of, yes, I have done this. I, I can see that I can do this. That is a benefit, I think. Yeah, yeah, that feeling, that dopamine feeling of, um, like I've actually achieved something. And uh, I think there's a lot of research now supporting that, Dopamine is a precursor to adrenaline. So actually where people go, oh, are you just making people feel good? You know, oh, I get a backflip, I feel good. Does it actually have any advantages? Well, when dopamine gets released, uh, the brain listens more and it learns more. So actually you're probably getting a, a big learning advantage by making something achievable versus uh, making it not achievable. And I think the what you described at the start with the the trio making a backflip happen, uh, I th thought that was really interesting as well because you're still making something achievable. Like you're everybody there is learning something rather than it being just a, a coach kind of well this this was right I'll just 
throw you around and, and that can be uh, really big as well. What about disadvantages? So we kind of touched on like the incompetent spotter just kind of chucking people <laughs> over that uh, probably isn't so useful to people learning. Do you think, like, is there any way spotting can be harmful or is there any ways maybe the fact that we all just resort to it so quickly, do you think that can be a problem? Are we missing anything? I mean, there's a lot of problems, I think. It's <laughs> I think, but part of it is management as a class. So if you take that example of doing a backflip with three people, rather than me spotting everybody, there's also nobody's waiting. So everyone's learning the whole time. I mean, that's just one example. I think there's probably a number of ways that you could use that idea. Um, but if you think about me spotting every single student, because let's say I consider myself to be the only competent spotter in the room, which is probably not true, but then you have a lot of students waiting. So then just hanging around, not doing anything and not really thinking about it and going one at a time. That's a problem. I think if, um, depending on the student, it, it can be quite bad for the spotter as well. If I spot the same thing a thousand times on the same side with the same yeah. arm, it's not actually that good for me, especially considering my sides. Um, I think that students can, it's good that the students get that feeling of, yes, I can do it, but obviously it can become quite addictive to have somebody there every single time. So being able to know when to move them away from the spot and how you do that is also quite important. I think some students don't want to be touched a lot by, you know, their teacher, and that's completely fair enough. And I think that the interaction there is really important. Like, I don't think that you should spot somebody without asking and explaining, this is what I'm going to be doing, and this is where I'm going to be touching you. Because, you know, some people might be really uncomfortable with that. So that's a problem too. And obviously, if you're a bad spotter, you also risk dropping somebody on their head. So <laughs> there's that to think about too physically. Yeah, uh, there's a lot in that I want to unpick. So first, I, I wanted to ask that uh, feeling of being the only competent spotter in the room. Uh, that's something that I remember having as like the sticker of pride, you know, of like, I'm going to come in and actually, yeah, I can't let anyone else spot because I'm the only one who's like done all that learning. Um, do you think, is that possibly just to do with, well, maybe the skills that people are learning are too hard or maybe... You know, if you're the only one who can manage the complexity of it, is it just that you chose a skill that was too hard in the beginning? Is it would it actually be better to have more people able to spot because the student was doing something more manageable? Um, well, I, I mean, if, talking about that, I think um, I might think a bit more about handstand classes. Let's say so. Yeah, in acrobatics, totally. Sometimes you go in the skills are too hard and that's why and that's partly why I do this new backflip trio method because they are learning to spot there right there you know that's a whole and there's a whole process it's not just like lobbing yourself backwards it's like um thinking you know about the jump about the catch about when you can t take them to put their hands down about when you change the timing of it you know so actually what they're doing as well is learning to spot and that's part of the class that I now teach so that when I I can then say uh, in your spare time, you can practice this. And I know that they would be fine and I don't have to be there. But I think in handstands, for example, which isn't too hard, the skill's not too hard, usually, occasionally, um, but bad spotting in handstands is the worst. When you have a group of people and you say, okay, right, you're gonna spot them and you're gonna spot them. And you just see them holding them in an extremely bad position. They're not actually learning to balance at all. 
and learning to spot even these kind of more simple and held positions is if you're going to if you do it you've got to do it right yeah i definitely can relate to that in handstands and the the idea of just uh needing the spotter in case you've you're going to fall over and sometimes I, I wonder actually is that even too difficult for some people and maybe uh if we just had movement you know or, or car, really slow cartwheels would that be a better alternative for some people than holding them in a handstand where the spotter actually has to do so much work that uh, that person isn't really learning anything about about the balance. The, maybe the spotter's getting stronger arms, but uh, you know, yeah, maybe maybe they're just not there yet. And then the other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was that uh, social pressure that people might feel. Like I remember when I was being taught to spot that's exactly how i was taught to do it was just first of all say is it okay if i spot you and then secondly i'm gonna go here and here and uh that was sort of the gold standard this is the best way to do it to not be intrusive and after a while you know i started realizing yeah coming up to like when i work with children and teenagers especially going up to a kid and say is it okay if i spot you well what you haven't given it sounds like you've given them a choice but you haven't really given them that much choice you've sort of put them under pressure on the spot and uh try to ask a question um i've been lucky enough in most of my classes where you know after i've been doing it for long enough you never i i tend to never have a brand new class so actually uh, most students are kind of used to the idea of like, look, if you want a spot, you come up and ask for it and like specifically request what you need me to do. Um, do you have any methods that you use for like to initiate spotting at any any point with a student or uh, how, how would you approach that? I mean, I'm in an also quite specific environment though, because as I said before, my skill set really revolves around um, like working with other people anyway. So we're all touching each other anyway. So if I'm teaching a class, which is, you know, we're doing acrobatics and acrobalance and we're doing these kind of, you know, jumps and catches and stuff, we, it's less likely that I'm going to be spotting them and more likely they're going to be working in that sort of group way. So because the class is, they know that that's what they're getting into. I, I always say um, as a group, if that, if, you know, if you don't want to do a particular thing for any reason, injury, or you don't want to do it for like any reason at all, that you don't have to do anything that we're doing in this class. Um, and I can always think of an alternative for you. So I think also giving them the option to say, I don't want to do this, but not specify why is important too. So, you know, I might think, oh, it's because they've hurt their leg, but they might, I don't, I don't need them to, in the middle of a class say, and you know, I don't want you to touch me for X, Y, and Z reason. I think you have to give them um, the uh, agency for themselves to make those decisions. I'm also not, you know, I'm working with degree students as well who are a bit older um, and I'm with them all the time. So it's not that I'm with a random group on a Monday who might change and a random group on a Friday who might change. It's, you know, my, you've got say 65 students that we have for three years. So I get to know them extremely well and there's a massive support system in the degree office of student support and 
So if there are issues around anything to do with that, they know that they can go there. Yeah, I think that is something that's definitely changing in teaching now is like uh, it used to be as the teacher, you kind of needed to be the central hub of information and you feel like you need to know everything about your student. And I think we're maybe realizing even if we are the only person in the in the teaching team, well, for yourself, obviously, you're part of a huge uh, degree team that has, you know, loads of components to it. But even if you are the only one, actually, we never will have all the information about a student anyway. You know, we're not ever going to be able to know all the things that are going in, on in their life, all the things that happened in their life before. And uh, I think a lot of teaching is shifting towards like okay you don't need to be specific if you already know this isn't good for you then you just say and then well we'll say you know that's fine that's that's good enough um just because i guess we're opening up to the idea that we we won't ever know anything anyway there are a number of teachers that i had when i was growing up and some of them are very, very sensitive to the idea that you understand your own body and some were not they said you know no, you sit in splits for 20 minutes and that's the end of that. And I'd be like, oh, oh, I've got bad hamstring. No, it doesn't matter. You sit in splits for 20 minutes because that was the methodology back when I was, you know, 10 or whatever. And obviously that's not what we should be doing and how we should be behaving. And, you know, I work as well with adults. I'm not going to say to them, no, you do it this way and that's the end of that. Like we find a way together to make this work for them. Um, yeah, and that's, that's that really. And they're here because, you know, they've, they've signed up to do a degree course. They want to be here. They want to make it work. So I don't usually have students that are just not wanting to do something for no reason. So I accept that they want to do things and we find ways that work for them basically. Yeah. Well, I know too many people who have had the story of the, their old coach who stood on them in splits and, <laughs> Uh, even when they asked to stop and they know they can't can walk properly or they've got muscle, they had muscle tears and just all those things like sound terrible. But yeah, again, at the time it was, well, yeah, don't worry, this is pain, but you don't know what's good for you. And uh, I'm very much grateful that that has, has started to change. Uh, and I also think in the same thing with, with spotting, like the, it's very hard to know what the, students learning processes especially if we're lifting people through that was one of the things that i really found when i started removing a lot of spotting from my practice actually a lot of students were getting better just because or they weren't getting injured so then they were able to progress much more steadily and it wasn't because the spotting was injuring them but it was when we took it away they, if anything went slightly wrong, it was suddenly in a position their body hadn't really learned how to deal with. And so there was just a much bigger risk in terms of taking that away. And that was something that you mentioned before about, you know, knowing if, if you're spotting somebody, knowing how and when to, to take that away. How do you approach, how do you approach that to sort of keep things as safe as possible? Well, I was just thinking about that. Cause I was just thinking that, um, I know one of your things you were interested in talking about is what are the alternatives and obviously because I do doubles trapeze I spend a lot of time lunging so rather than spotting I'm lunging it's this ultimately the same thing but I find it much easier to take away the spot from uh, an acrobatic move or if I'm spotting somebody doing hand-to-hand -hand, because I can be quite quick to come in or out 
so I can not touch them and then touch them if I need to. Whereas with lunging, the pro, you know, it's, it's a bigger contraption. I have to be much, much more ready to take the weight. And obviously the fall is much bigger. So I have found that to be a much more difficult process to say, right, you're on the lunge and now you're off the lunge and there's no in between. And I have to know for sure that I'm not doing anything on the lunge whilst keeping the, the ropes out of the way. That I find much more difficult. And I get um, uh, the moment when I take the lunge up, I think but the students and I all have this collective slight hold of breath, you know, and whereas with the spotting and acrobatics, I do find that a bit easier. Yeah, you can grade it, I guess, much more. Whereas with the lunge, I remember being on a lunge on a tight wire for the first time and I couldn't balance. I couldn't walk. I, I just saw I could feel this compression around my waist and I saw these ropes going up and I just assumed that, I don't know, God or something was keeping me up and I, I would just fall one side or the other. And uh, I had a, a, someone on the lunge ropes just going, dude, you got to stop doing this. I can't keep holding you up. Uh, so it is such a weird feeling. And yeah, when you, t when you take it out, um, I think that can be quite, quite weird as well. Cause the, the, even if you know that you've been doing the skill over and over, you're still used to doing the skill with that kind of compression feeling. I mean, around the waist, that's where the weightlifters go to, to put the belts on for more core stability and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe physically you're actually, maybe physically it's actually harder because you don't have that feeling, but also I think as your brain adapts to movement, it sort of goes, oh, every time I do a back somersault, I've got this feeling around my waist. And then, so when it tries to start the movement, then, oh yeah, no, that's not there anymore. And that, that can be quite scary too. So yeah, I think that's um, pretty, pretty difficult. But I guess with that though, I think that what's really vital and what I discovered as I did doubles trapeze and started to, you know, I was working a lot with a lunge and then we were taking the lunge off. And then what I started to realize is I had to have a plan B. What was my exit strategy? And if I missed this move, what was I going to do? And it's, it's um, scary to think in this one second, you have to figure out, oh my God, I've missed and I have to go into exit strategy. Um, but it's an essential part of um, progression, isn't it? Learning, what do I do if this doesn't work out? And I guess that's something that we have to kind of integrate into quite a lot of our classes. I mean, in doubles trapeze, you have this massive drop. So you've got the time to go, ah, missed, ah, land, what do I do? Um, and in a backflip or a back somersault, you have less, you know, there's there's less time, there's less fall. Um, but you still have to think, and I guess that's one thing you could get into the students is, okay, so there's no spots. So what do you do? What do you do if you fall out of this move? What do you do if you fall off of this handstand? Do you just, if you're in handstand and you're, you're not able to hold it, do you just land on your back flat on the floor? No, of course you don't. You're going to twist and put your feet down or come up with a strategy for yourself. Um, so I think that might be part of our removal of spotting. Yeah, that's huge. That's um, coming from gymnastics. I remember just assuming everybody practiced exactly the same way, you know, uh, everything was to do the movement perfectly and nobody ever really thought of, nobody ever really thought about what to do when it goes wrong because you just train not to do it wrong. And I got really baffled by team sports because I would be like, how are the how are eleven people on a football field managing to train all these movements so perfectly and actually 
those sports have they don't even think about perfect they just think about everything's always going to go wrong let's figure out yeah. how to manage it and when i started trying to learn magic as a teenager you know most you, you've got a good card trick but actually the the thing you really need to know to be a magician is well stuff's going to go wrong so what do you do when somebody doesn't play it the way that you need to, to play it and um i guess martial arts or is one of the closest i can think to acrobatics where where they do the same thing and i wonder how many people in circus think about that you know do, do they incorporate a lot of falling over into their practice or is it just uh train the skill for the skill to work and uh, yeah maybe we'll get a lot more out of it if people were allowed to get it wrong a little bit more or fall over a little bit more i know in elderly populations uh one of the biggest risks when people fall over is the fear of not being able to get back up again so uh people who are used to getting up off the ground are much less likely to suffer any breaks when they hit the ground because they don't tense up during during the fall they 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 realize they're going towards the ground and they go oh yeah well there's no big deal once i hit there i get back up whereas if you haven't spent any time on the floor uh that becomes a very terrifying prospect and that's probably on a much more complex and advanced level the same in um circuits you know probably the biggest injuries we get come from when this skill goes wrong and we're just completely in the unknown. We have no idea what's going to come next. So let's get back a little bit now into some of the methods that you use for spotting because I know that one of the things you've talked about already was this idea of, you know, getting partners and trios involved so that they've they've got things to practice and i think that's really useful because a lot of the times when i see people spotting it's for skills that they can only do with their coach and then they have to go away for a week and never get to practice that again um and that's one of the reasons i always thought this is a really interesting way of doing things this idea that you can uh give people a little bit more autonomy over their skills and their practice. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you kind of developed this? So like, uh, what was it in your work that sort of led you to the idea of using partner acrobatics to, to replace spotting, I guess? Well, I think that, um, I was teaching acrobatics here. And I kind of just followed the same format as a lot of the teachers that I'd seen or the teachers that I'd had, which was, you know, it's in one long room and we kind of were doing just floor acrobatics. And basically I got bored, essentially. I got bored I, I and I felt that they were getting bored too. So I started to look at other ways of how different acrobats were moving at that time, rather than just following this kind of strict regime of, you know, cartwheels, one-arm cartwheels like this, which I don't know. I also enjoy cartwheels, one-arm cartwheels, don't get me wrong. But I started to think, how else can these people move? And I started to bring in sort of films and things for us to kind of expand on the idea of acrobatics. And then I started to to do things where they would work in pairs to teach each other things rather than me just teaching them things as if I was some sort of, you know, all-knowing teacher, which I'm not, obviously. And that a lot of our students come with loads of skills. So it was more about working together. And I saw that that was quite an important part of 
the learning curve is how you um, can build on your skills and work with other people. At the same time, we were teaching the sort of acrobatics, acrobalance sessions with Mimbra to the first years. Um, so I was teaching with Lena or Sylvia and we would teach them, um, you know, how to create work, how to work, do acrobalance moves together that were more sort of fluid rather than these kind of standing hand to hand. It was more about, okay, well, you're that size and you're that size. So what can you do together rather than sort of this strict, uh, again, a strict regime. So, so then I started to realize that both of these methods could work together. So we didn't have to have this one floor acrobatic, you know, acrobatic session and this acrobalance session, we could do it as one. So you could learn a cartwheel and then you could think, how else can I do the cartwheel? You could say, oh, look, they're doing a cartwheel like that and I'm doing a cartwheel like that, but maybe we could show each other. And then we could think, okay, well, how can you put that cartwheel onto somebody else? And then via that, we could also do, how can you um, help that person to do a cartwheel with no hands? And does it have to be spotted in the way that we always spot through, through under the leg? Or can we use the arms to help? Or we could, could we do it via a Sputnik idea? Or could we kick the leg in the push the leg in the same way, but with the foot? So we were kind of adapting how we did things, so that not only are you learning the skills, you're adapting the skills, you're using the skills together, and you're doing things on a hard floor that you can put on a stage rather than working in the acro studio on a sprung floor, learning how to do a front somersault with the spring which I don't see a lot of our students then using. So it was, it was really a number of different classes and a number of different elements kind of came together to sort of work in this one holistic way, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're not 100% there yet. And I'll tell you that COVID kind of ruined my plans slightly because we had a whole system in place which we had to then adapt again to, you know, because we couldn't have any of them touch each other, which has been a bit of a problem. But um, that was kind of the way it worked. And then, but then I think as well, when COVID turned up and we had to have nobody touch each other, we then found a whole different method of teaching, which was kind of out of the box than what we'd done before. And it didn't all work. And we did miss a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about now, but you know, we did gain things along the way. I don't think it was a complete waste of time by any stretch. Yeah, that's exactly the stuff I was talking about. And uh, I had a very similar thing and I'm pretty much sure I borrowed a lot of the stuff I learned, like I saw you doing for when I started going to teach actors and stuff like that, because before that, all of my knowledge was, yeah, sprung floors and trampolines and crash mats, and none of that is really useful in the real world. Like, unless you're going to be a gymnast, you just don't have access to it. And, you know, maybe now for adult practitioners, they've got Instagram. So, yeah, you can actually take a video so you can show your friends, oh, this is what I did on that fancy floor. If you're going to be a performer or if you want to translate your skills into the real world, actually, you need to be able to do things on the hard floor and I really liked the idea that you could turn I'm learning an aerial cartwheel I need a spot for that why not turn it into a skill or why not turn it into something that is already stage ready you know uh, you could you could you could learn the first step to that 
and then present it in such a way that, oh, well, I'm on stage tonight and well, here you go. And then maybe in a year's time, as you've got better and better at doing that move, maybe the the base in that acro balance position is now doing less and less work. And then just one day you go, all right, well, let's, let's take them away. And no time has been wasted having to develop these skills. You're just progressing as you go. I think that's a really huge thing for anyone listening to think about, you know, is when you're spotting people, how soon are they going to be able to show anything? Or are they going to be the, you know, 10 year acrobatics veteran? And it's like, oh, what can you do? Well, nothing yet, but you just watch this space. It's, it's all all coming soon. Uh, And obviously this has very uh, immediately visible benefits to performers. Do you still use this when you're working in other groups? Like, would you work like this with, um, adult groups or kids or, you know, recreational or outreach, um, or, or, I mean, I know that maybe not what you do right now, but have you ever got to in the past, uh, use these with other groups and does, does it still have the same benefits and advantages? Yeah, I think it works across the board, really. Um, I don't work with small children. That's the only thing. I don't know whether it would work because when I've ever done, um, working with much smaller children, the kind of um, understanding of your own weight in space seems to be, as far as I can tell, um, it's more difficult to work with another person to rely on their weight. Counterweighting is really difficult for them to understand. And I don't do it enough to know, but definitely when I've worked with any groups from like eight years old and up, it works totally fine. Yeah. And obviously you adapt to the group that you're with. You don't just do the same tricks with everybody and the same. That's the whole point is that you are thinking about a quite basic skill and then you can change the way that you're using it to, and they can change the way they're using it. So they might find, oh, but I can free cartwheel. Okay, great. So how's about we, um, you know, think about then how you're then working with this other person in a different way. Can you use them as, can you step onto them to lift yourself higher? Can you change it to adapt the shape in the air? It's about, you know, what that person can do and what they can do with other people rather than, you know, I don't just go in with exactly the same model. Yeah. Yeah. And you get rid of the kind of standard procedure with young kids of, well, you spotted me for a backflip. How long till I can do it on my own? And so, well, I don't know, maybe you might hit a growth spurt. You might be way stronger than you think. We might have a global pandemic that takes away your classes for a whole year. You just don't know. But actually, if you give them, oh, here's a skill. Oh, well, I just want to do this. Like once you've already told them that backflip prep is a skill in itself, then they just want to practice that over and over and over again. And uh, the fact that they want to practice it means they're probably going to get better at actually doing a backflip by themselves. And then what about the group work as well as another interesting thing, because it's not just the learning skills. I think having people working together in a group and not having to deal with that authority figure who knows everything and, and, and knows best is really useful. Do you think, or like, what are the benefits you can see outside of the, the skill learning? How does it affect the class in general in terms of their social relationships or just their communication or anything like that? I think that was the most important part for me, actually. Um, 
So we had theatre classes which were doing trust games and things. And I was thinking, why aren't we doing that as part of our acrobatic sessions? Because the whole point is that you're able to um, work with other people, support other people, except when somebody is scared and help them to overcome that by being, don't worry, we can do it this way, we can help you, you know? Um, and the other thing is when we did this in, only did independent individual acrobatics, so we have a well-cast class gymnast who can do a full twist, and we've got another student in the class that quite frankly was struggling with a cartwheel really, and that we needed to find a way to make the group feel that they were working together and that they were progressing together. And it wasn't like, oh, well, they're really good and they can do everything and I'm really bad and I can't do anything. Because when you put them together, they have to find something that works for the both of them. So, you know, we integrated trust games into this. We integrated um, the sort of group feeling and dynamic is part of the class. And I think that for a number of year groups, it's really helped them as they progress in their ensemble, you know, that's what they need to be able to do as a performer as well, is to take everyone into account and not think, oh, but I'm really good at this. So can you just get better? Yeah, yeah. And I think the sort of authority figure of the teacher can really help like exacerbate that in a lot of situations where it's just everybody do this this one exercise and then uh you already know that somebody's sitting there watching you so every, everything you're doing you feel like is being assessed and when you see obviously the first people to go are going to be the ones most comfortable so if you don't feel so confident in what we're doing at the time you get to see the three best in the room go and do it first while everybody watched and you're like, all right well it's going to be my turn soon and everyone's going to be watching and it's not going to look like that and i think that uh can be really horrible so i think yeah that kind of group work and uh, the teamwork thing is a really important thing that uh i guess we can get a lot out of in um most of our classes so definitely, as much as I really love talking about all the benefits, just for the sake of balance, like, are there any drawbacks to like, is there anything that kind of doesn't work as well as it should or any hiccups or resistance that you, that you might find to this um, at all? Yeah, I mean, I don't see any <laughs> drawbacks personally, but I can see there is a perceived drawback from the students occasionally. So the ones that are Team GB, the ones that are really good and able to do double backs, they feel that they might be losing their skills along the way. And they feel that they want to be able to have time and space to practice their double backs. And I appreciate that. And I think that's also important for them to be able to do. And I don't, but I, I feel like I wouldn't give up this methodology for that, but I do think that we do need space for that. The, the other thing that occasionally happens is one of my methods is not to give you, and I think it's not good teaching practice anyway, to give a student or a group of students all the information that they need. Because the point is that they have to work it out. They might work it out in a different way than I think, or I might overload them with too much information and they can't move on because they are just struggling to kind of work through it. And I have had occasions where students have kind of pulled that, said, oh, yeah, but I can't do it because you're not telling me everything. But I guess you, you get that in every 
teaching environment. So I guess those are the two things that I get resistance to is wanting all of the information directly and wanting the time and space. And one of them I care not at all. And the other one, I think, yes, we do need to get a bit of time and space. <laughs> yeah, well, it goes back to what we were saying about, you know, in the old model where the teacher decided they need to know everything about the student. And if you know everything about your student, well, of course, you know the best way for them to progress. And then it makes sense that, all right, well, I'm going to give you X, Y, and Z, and this is, this is how I want you to do it. Um, but yeah, actually, when we look at how people learn best, it's definitely not by being given the information uh, straight away. It's anything your brain is looking for, you will find. And if uh, you, while it probably feels nicer and easier to just be told, yeah, this is it, this is what you have to do, and it's going to go like this. And uh, there's a lot fewer unknowns when, when you get the information presented like that. It's definitely not the best way to foster actual learning. And fortunately on a degree program actual like proper learning is what we're looking for so yeah i definitely agree on that and in terms of the double backs and the kind of high level gymnasts for me that's even a question of like yeah definitely you should be able to foster what you can do but i still kind of feel in in this kind of scenario everybody goes in with whatever their current level of ability is and then it's well here's a problem what can you do in this problem and if you can do double backs and you can do backflips and all kinds of crazy flips well how are you going to be creative with that because you you know what's the use in just practicing the same skill you already know over and over i think you have to develop it and change it and you know it's probably a lot slower process and it's maybe not as fun as doing the super high thrilling thing that you've already done but i really think there's value in well you're going to knock yourself down a peg but actually uh those double backs aren't going away you're able to use all that ability and knowledge that you've already got about how to move in your own body to then create something else that's really wonderful and new and yeah, maybe it's probably good to practice it occasionally, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of possibility for, for creativity as well. So yeah, lots and lots of benefits, but um, as we already discussed a little bit at the start, March last year, um, pretty much that whole strategy gets wiped out. We're suddenly not allowed to touch. I mean, you've said already a lot of the year was conditioning classes in people's bedrooms and uh i guess at that time it's teachers and students alike just trying to figure out what's going on in the world and how <laughs> maybe what the future is going to be like and just a lot of stress but as you got back into the space i guess and as acrobatics classes started to come up that's got to be a pretty terrifying prospect if you've built a pretty solid and strong system that works really, really well. And then you're told, oh, yeah, you you cannot use that. Like, how did that feel going into the classes? Was it nerve wracking? Uh, did you have a process to trying to figure out what you were going to do? Um, yes, <laughs> um, I think. I was really lucky because I had we had a really good acro team, so we scheduled more teachers. So there were more of us, and I feel that really that that really helped us to kind of think of different strategies of how to do things. And I started with this sort of principle of of work, and then we were we agreed to do it for a few weeks, 
two or three weeks and then have a meeting to see if that was working or not. So the method that we used was that we split the group in half. We had half the group, so that would be seven students doing acro dance. So with um, Jacob Smart, excellent teacher, um, on the floor. And the other half were doing sort of acro prep work. So we'd set up a, um, a sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like a, a setup kind of thing. We'd have like, for example, we'd have a cr one crash mat and one box top. And we would think of a, a number of different preps that would work on this. So it would go from like handstand flat back to handstand half turn to front from, um, and then we do um, kind of step up. So we change the diet, like which direction it was. So we'd step up to do dive rolls and then into front somersaults and we'd use it to do free cartwheels off. So we'd kind of look at this piece of kit and adapt what we were doing to work for kind of 45 minutes. So we do 45 minutes of this kind of prep work and 45 minutes of the sort of floor more smooth working into the floor um, acro dance. And then the two groups would switch. So, and we had a different kind of setup each week. So we might just be using um, just the box and the floor, or sometimes we just had mats on the floor um, and we added like conditioning and things into that. Yeah, I mean, it was difficult. It was one of the most difficult class for us, for sure. But I still think that we sort of managed it and we had to just get super creative. Yeah, yeah. What was the process of making it like? Was it just sort of group meeting, like the acrobatic team? Was it just sort of group meetings and sessions? Or how did you even decide on those to begin with? On that, uh, that I just decided. <laughs> I decided that that was going to be the method. We were going to work in these two different ways, and then they were going to switch, and we were going to see whether it worked out. And I gave the the teachers that we were working with like a parameter of work. Like, okay, we're going to attempt um, these kinds of setups, and then from that they could decide how they wanted to run the session from there. The other one that we came up with, which actually was a winner was with um, the three of us made this, uh, created this idea. We were thinking, oh, maybe we could work with hoop diving, but we couldn't have everyone going through one hoop at the same time. So what we decided to do was utilize the um, lifting systems and magnet the hula hoops. So we magneted a number of hula hoops and had them attached to the lifting system. So in that way we could work on a particular skill, like we were going through it with like forward roll, but you could adjust both the height of it and you could adjust the size of it. And it would mean that uh, six or seven students could work at the same time. So that was a real winner. And actually we managed, because we do the discipline specialization process from that, we actually got one hoop diving student first time ever that we've had a hoop diving student from this ridiculous method that we made. Um, so it, it, and I would do that again. I would actually use that method again. It was a really interesting um, way of working, I have to say. Yeah, well, that's really cool. And that's one of the things um, I wanted to ask about as well was, you know, when we get to stuff like this and we have to make changes, I think what a lot of schools were thinking regarding spotting is we're getting rid of spotting. Oh no, that's that's like, you know, our, our 
a game tool that everybody has and that's what makes teaching really great so obviously when you take that away that means teaching is going to be worse circus is going to be worse and we're all gonna you know this is just going to be this period that we have to get through and obviously with the whole anxiety of well nobody ever knows where when's it gonna end is it gonna end is everything gonna be the same or different as we go back uh it isn't such a nice thought to know you know okay i'm going back to circus that's a good thing but I'm gonna get a lesser quality of class or you know the quality of what I'm doing is gonna go down because I'm not allowed to have spotting or I'm not allowed to have the kind of trio of acro balance partner acrobatic stuff that you were doing. How did that pan out? Did it end up, uh, you know, I imagine it's probably some tweaking as you go, but was that the case? Was it just a worse version of of acrobatics, or or did it end up? Um, w were you able to change it in a way that that actually meant students were still able to to get something from it? Um, I think for me, it's actually this is like probably not what people want to hear, but the idea that you're forced into a situation where you have to think really hard about how to change your teaching is actually quite interesting. I found that challenge quite exciting. Um, but I do think that um, I would have also found doing acro dance quite difficult, I think. So some students who had um, sort of were dancers or were um, like, basically there was a particular type of student that really got on really well with the acro dance. But for some students, I think they found that quite difficult. And I think I would have been one of those students too that would have found that quite difficult. This um, kind of, um, if you're not really flexible, for example, that the hard, hitting the hard floor a number of times in a sort of smooth way, if it's not smooth, can be quite hard on the body. So I think some of them found it quite difficult on the body. Not that they didn't enjoy the class, but I think after a while they were like, I'm totally bruised from doing this all the time. Um, I think it helped the students to think outside of the box as well. So they didn't rely on this idea that they would just be spotted down the top of a run. They, were presented at the beginning of the class with a hoop on a lifting system and they were like okay what are we doing i think that was helpful <laughs> and i think that helped me as well to see them um sort of questioning what was going on and how it was going to work was also nice for us i don't think they got a less i think they got a different experience and what i would hope to do is the both really yeah yeah i think there's a pros and cons to it isn't there there's um on the one hand like thinking outside the box is great and i think everybody should probably be forced to it as a teacher you know to, to go like all right this is the way i've got that works really well can i at least do you know 15 minutes a week where i just try something so out of my comfort zone that actually you know uh, at least at the very worst you get i never want to use this again that was a terrible idea but actually your whole sort of toolbox as a teacher is gonna is gonna go up and actually you might start finding more efficient ways to do things you already did and and stuff like that so definitely having constraints having ways to have to think and work differently is really good but i guess with this was like all right so i have to change everything i do 
uh, and how long for uh, for an entire year? It's it's quite stressful, and it, it was maybe a bit much. So uh, definitely the the constraints are good. It's uh, just not so fun to have to do it across. You know, not on your own terms. But then on the other side of it, I wonder was there maybe some advantages in the fact that, like you said, you know, uh, students come in. If it was before, they might come in expecting to be spotted and you go, oh guys, we're trying something different. And it's like, well, why? We, we already know this one works. Whereas when suddenly, well, doesn't matter. We, we don't have any choice in the matter. We have to try this, this new way. Uh, maybe it m means people were a bit more agreeable and open to, to try some new things. And, uh, and actually we get something out of it just because of that. So, um, yeah, maybe there's there's some drawbacks to the fact that yeah, just nobody had a choice in the matter. But uh, hopefully, it means everybody got a bit of an extra experience that they can carry forward. Yeah, and also I think that the first years um, they didn't know any different. They turned up and they hadn't been spotted by us whatsoever. So it was a new, you know, they obviously knew that this was going to be different to what normally happens but they didn't hadn't actually experienced what normally happens anyway so with that in mind i think maybe it didn't affect them so much although what i would say is that the hands that level of handstands got really really good they got very good very quickly because they didn't get spotted but there were a few that i think would have benefited from a bit of spotting later like a bit later in the process so when they're strong enough um but they can't quite get the balance i think there is a an element of being able to put them in a the right position good position and then you know show them yeah this is it this hold it hold it hold it um which we lacked but for the most part they got it anyway i think there was i would have just liked to have spotted a few of them late on in the process yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, like, um, do you think maybe that's something to think about going forwards? Like, do we maybe need to rethink, or are we just always spotting handstands because we've just decided that's the way to do it and that's what you do? And maybe uh, if we can find people falling safely out of it, is do you think that might actually be something to think about and look at? Yeah, the other thing I realized is I'd spent a lot of time in handstand classes doing, you know, one... A spots B and then B spots A. And I realized at the end of the class that they've only done half class, really. But I do think that learning to spot a handstand is quite vital. But probably for the first, at least six weeks, first half of term, I would say it's better for them all to do the whole class and to have different methods of uh, understanding, you know, the shape and um, build strength and, you know, to do all of those elements without it being... Uh, you know, let's say you've got 45 minute handstand class, they're literally only doing 20 minutes of handstands. So why not do the other, like make sure that all the elements are there by them doing 45 minute class, all of them, that works better. And they got stronger much quicker. Yeah, yeah, you get way more work done. Um, I had a similar thing with my youth students and I sort of said, oh, no spotting is fine as long as I've got a wall. And then I got told, oh, well, the room you're in, you can't really use the walls either. And uh, so, well, this is obviously impossible, but for that term, it was the one term where I saw the biggest improvements across the most students. Like, again, not everybody, though there's probably some people where just the point that they're at is 
you're going to be better if somebody can just give a little bit of help, whether whether it's the you know uh, helping with the balance, whether it's uh, they're not strong enough to stay there, or whether it's just you know some cueing, like you know, or this if you could just move this one part uh, and you can touch that, well, well then they're able to do it. It might have been helpful, but yeah. Also, interestingly, I did see just such a huge jump, and there was no walls, no no spots, no, none of the things that uh, I kind of traditionally associate with a handstand class. And then, with that in mind, then so obviously, like we said, the we're still in the building as we're recording this. I don't know uh, if it'll still be the case when it goes out, but we're still in the kind of time period where spotting is still not really allowed it's not really involved uh we are hoping though that that's eventually going to come to an end do you think like out of the stuff you've mentioned the hoop diving you might actually keep that and bring it forward was was there any things in particular out of the experience of not spotting that you think ah oh, this actually would be quite good to uh carry on and and bring forward into your teaching in the future i think that um i think the thing having the students doing a whole class let's say in handstands i think was a really big benefit i definitely think we'll do that again i won't be making the spot too early in the process um i think that some of the cool things that we came up with in the acro classes like the hoop diving will definitely keep as well and I think a lot of the, you know, the prep stuff that we did was also useful. And the acro dance is brilliant as well. A different way of looking at acrobatics, I think is great. And we will continue with that. Um, but I think we would probably um, make it, we, you know, we're not going to lose this acro balance methodology that we had before. So um, starting with, let's say the example I used before is a cartwheel having a teacher like Jacob and me together teaching in this way might give a different approach to use the method that we did before. So we might look at cartwheels on the floor, different ways of doing them um, and build up to the acro balance. But the main thing I think is what I've realized is that we are quite flexible, flexibly minded in the building. Like we it was a completely different approach that we had to put in and i don't don't think it was boring you know we could, it could have become really boring but i don't think it did i think we continued to think of different ways of doing things and i would hope that we kind of carry on with that and you know so i feel like well fine whatever happens next term sure we've done it online we've done it in not touching anyone we've done changed the whole program from before anyway there's been so many changes to what we're doing and i think that by bringing it all together we could end up with a really excellent program but i wouldn't stop changing it from there anyway we, we should still keep looking at ways to make things better and adapt you know yeah yeah and i wonder actually if having more variety, you know, even if it's just the acrobatics classes and having the partner acrobatics and the acro dance and uh, a lot of different things combined actually might make it more accessible or more enjoyable to more people, or at the very least, the people that really hate it only hate just a little bit of it um, for not that much time and actually the rest of it is 
at the very least tolerable. So yeah, maybe we get some <laughs> advantages just from the fact that we've now got more variety which we can play with. Uh, I wonder, is there any of it that you're definitely not going to bring back? Like, is there anything that you hated, whether it's on online stuff or? I mean, I found it incredible. I mean, this is personal, but um, you know, I'm a parent and teaching online at home when your whole family is at home is just awful. It's terrible. So actually, even then I adapted. <laughs> so we did more task-based work, which was creative and they had to make films and show them to us in sessions rather than a sort of, um, some of the classes were like a, um, you know, teacher would show and student would copy. But I tended not to do those because it was just so difficult to do that in my household environment. So I. I definitely don't want to go back to that again. Um, but in terms of the teaching, um, I just feel like now we can just take it on at any, or whatever. I think we can do it all. <laughs> cool, yeah, well that's good to know. And uh, then I guess the other final thing then is what happens to your old way of working? So your partner, partner acrobatics and your partner balancing, uh, I imagine you're keen to get back into that because it was such a good approach and it worked really well. Um, have you had any thoughts of, of how you might do that? Obviously, um, I don't know, are people going to be hesitant to be working back to touch? Do you think people are just now after so long, they just want to get back to, to doing all the partner work or what's your approach going to be to re-implement it? Yeah, I think the students are really keen to get back to that. In fact, that was the main um, feedback is that we, we want to do partner work. We feel that, you know, we've missed out on that. And a lot of the companies now, uh, this, you know, a lot of big companies, you don't just have your skill. You have to be able to work in this way, working with other people or creating work together and being able to be physical with other people. So I think they're really keen to get back to it. I mean, in terms of the protocols in the building, we'll just have to see how it goes. But, you know, we've got a number of different pro different levels of protocols that we can put in or take out. And now I do feel like, well, I can make a plan for my perfect class, but I can always adapt it dependent on what protocols are and think about how to do it in the most safe way, both, you know, safety in terms of the students in the building physically, but and also COVID obviously as well. Great, sounds positive for <laughs> sure. And so we're gonna have to start wrapping up now because I'm aware we've been talking for a little while. And uh, so I guess just to sort of summarize things a little bit, we have been talking a lot about spotting and kind of the, the pros and cons. Uh, pros just being the ability to aid somebody in learning a skill and keep them safe while they're doing it. Uh, but also looking at maybe disadvantages in that uh, you might be taking some of the ownership of the skill away from them. You might be taking away some of their brain's ability to actually do the learning and, and, and achieve the skill themselves. Uh, we talked a little bit about your approach of um, kind of getting rid of that in the spotting side of things and uh, giving people skills that they can work on by themselves in autonomous groups with other people, giving them stuff that is, you know, 
almost at all times ready to perform and that that can be a really good way to to teach spotting in, in ways that uh helps them build those more difficult skills but also doesn't leave them with nothing to practice or nothing to show for it at the time uh we had a little bit of talk about different ways that we were adjusting things due to covid and uh it seemed that actually there's not all negatives about not being able to touch people actually there are a lot of different approaches that we can use to uh, help people develop skills in, in whether or not spotting is available especially in acrobatics and it sounds like uh the future looks like a bit of, even more of a holistic approach than it already was it sounds like we're gonna have uh more variety uh more probably options for learning in, in different ways, uh, which hopefully is going to suit more people. So in my eyes, that all sounds really great. Uh, all I got left to do is say uh, thank you very much, Martha, for uh, coming to speak to us. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you got something out of this and we will see you next time.